0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit hyundaiusa.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Green and Gold history. Fifty plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. This is Ace Baseball. This is Green and Gold history.
1: This episode of Green and Gold History is presented by New Era. New Era Cap is proud to be the official cap of your Oakland Athletics. Next time you visit the Coliseum, be sure to drop by the New Era Cap stand and pick up your A's New Era Authentic Collection Cap. Remember, you can always visit us at neweracap.com to shop our latest selection, including our limited edition and exclusive drops. New Era Cap, the official on-field cap of major league baseball time for another episode it's episode five of memories with voos steve usenich the longtime equipment manager for the athletics retiring after 54 years with the club he's been with them since the inception and he will be retiring at the end of uh, the 2021 campaign into spring training of next season voos when we last left off uh, the a's win the world series for the first time in 1972 and we're going to do- dive into uh, 1973 on today's episode but just a reminder of what that moment was like and what that offseason was like living in Oakland with the world champions, the Oakland Athletics.
0: Well, it's the first real championship, uh, world championship in Oakland at that time. Mm-hmm. And... Um it was celebrated by many. A lot of the players lived here through the winter. A lot of them thought they were going to have a lot more off-season uh, requests. Uh, that didn't come to fruition. Uh, we finally kind of slid under the radar as far as baseball. They didn't believe we were that good. And so that opened us up to 73. And, and as in post uh, other years, we didn't want to get to what I call too happy too soon. And just think it's an easy repeat and prove 73 was a long battle throughout the season. Uh, we started... Uh, during the winter, uh, with a couple of key acquisitions, we acquired Billy Knickliero from the Milwaukee Brewers. Made some trades again. Horatio Pena and Bob Locker were involved in the trade. So the 73 team went in, and then uh, spring training, they had a hard time signing Dave Duncan. He was holding out for some cash. He wanted, I think, at least $50,000. Charlie wasn't going to pay it, and hence the Ray Fossey acquisition was made Ray Fossey and Jack Heideman for George Hendrick, a promising hitter, and uh, Dave Duncan went to the Indians.
1: How was the trade received? Because I think it was with maybe a couple weeks left in spring training when uh, Ray leaves uh, the team down in Tucson with Cleveland and comes to the athletics.
0: Well, Ray had the biggest smile in the world because he had played with a perennial loser, the Cleveland Indians, and he's coming to a world championship club. So he was really happy. There were some uh, players that were I won't say they were upset with the trade, but maybe shocked a little bit because Dave Duncan had been with them through the minor leagues. All these guys played together in the minor leagues, from Dick Green to Joe Rudy and Reggie Jackson, uh, all those pitchers. So he was one of the family, and uh, he was a, a uh, good player, a good catcher, hit a little bit, uh, but he was holding out for more money. And, and Dave was uh, adamant he was going to get that money, and he did get it when he went to Cleveland. They signed him right away.
1: And he was one of Reggie's best friends, right, because they had come up through the minor leagues together.
0: Yeah, and at times they roomed together. Um, Reggie was visibly upset with the trade, and it was nothing against Ray Fossey. It was just a trade of Duncan himself. And I remember him screaming at the reporters, yeah, now you come talk to him. Why don't you talk to him before? And maybe he got his contract taken care of and that kind of thing. It was kind of off the wall for Reggie to do it, but uh, he was visibly upset, was a good friend.
1: It seemed, reading the history of the club at that time, and even the history of baseball, voos uh, arbitration had not hit yet, it was right on the horizon, and so players basically had to fight their own fights uh, in terms of contracts, and we saw how that worked out with Vida after the 71 campaign, came to camp late, came out of shape, and it was a tough year for him at 72, although he did have some moments late. What do you recall about players and Charlie and, and that dynamic, and Was it always a constant fight trying to get what you think you deserved? And was always a constant fight from Charlie's perspective saying you're going to get what I give you?
0: Well, you hit the nail on the head. There was no arbitration process at that time. Uh, Charlie thought when the owners agreed to give the players arbitration, it was the worst thing they ever did. But the truth of the matter is it made it fair for everybody. I remember um, that... uh, there was no arbitration nothing you could do about it and that's why back in the day players held out well at that time they were finally allowed to come to camp without the contract but they were also risking getting hurt and if they didn't have a contract they had no backup so uh, we won in spite of Charlie Finley Charlie would tell the people players after the 72 season hey that was your race you don't deserve a race for the regular season and the truth of the matter is the postseason shares and money had nothing to do with getting a race the next year but Charlie felt that way
1: going into 73 Charlie made the comment, you know, if you win it this year, the rings that you got for the first World Series are going to be even better than that. What do you remember about World Series ring from
0: 1972? Well, he did a, uh, a nice um, ceremony uh, without any fanfare on the field at uh, at um, Rendezvous Park in Mesa, our spring training site. They didn't wait till opening day or anything like that. So he gave out and he made that statement. And it was a beautiful ring. It had a diamond in it. I think it was a diamond, a uh, carrot and a quarter and uh, players were extremely happy. Charlie made us put a bolt into our valuable box. In those days, everybody had a little box where they put their money their rings, their their jewelry, whatever, and uh, never understood that concept when nobody's supposed to be in the clubhouse anyway, but we did that, and then he had us put a chain and a padlock so nobody could walk off with the valuable box, which was nothing but a 1930s style Big equipment truck that stood about three and a half feet high and was about four and a half, five feet long and extremely heavy.
1: Memories with Boost, we're talking about the 1973 campaign. Uh, You mentioned the acquisition of Ray and a couple other players. Another one that came over the Chicago Cubs, Billy North, who became a center fielder and a leadoff guy and a uh, a somewhat temperamental player, a guy that really believed in his own skills. What did he bring to the table as he came to a club that was really established with all the players, all the guys that had come together through the system?
0: Well, he immediately brought competition with Burt Campy Campanaris as far as stolen bases, Uh, Billy was, our, uh, was one of the first DHs we had, and they weren't sure where to bat him. He batted ninth, and then it was like a second leadoff guy. Eventually, he went to the top of the lineup, and I think Cappy slid down, and they flip-flop occasionally, depending on right-hander or left-hander, because Billy was a switch hitter. So he brought. Uh, uh, he replaced uh, Angel Manguel basically in center field, and he was a, I won't say gold glove, but he was very fast, and he got to a lot of balls and didn't mess up in the outfield. Uh, so he was a key acquisition for us, and Charlie loves speed and loves stolen bases.
1: You've got Catfish, and you've got Vida. You've got Kenny Holtzman. You've got Blue Moon in the rotation. You've got all these stars, uh, Sal Bando and Joe Rudy. And Gene Tennis is back and Campy, and the, the list goes on. Reggie and right field, uh, and then Ray behind the plate. Did this team have the, the sense that, while they won 72, it was not a fluke and we should be the team to beat as the season got underway in 73?
0: I believe so. Uh, it was basically almost the same club back with maybe a, a couple additions that we talked about, and that made the club even stronger. So um, they still had a chip on their shoulder because of Charlie and the Rages. And like I said, with a lot of teams, they won despite Charlie or in spite of him, uh, we got off to a good start, then we uh, slowed down a little bit. We had a situation where uh, Dick Williams was kind of getting unhappy with uh, all the interference from Charlie Finley, and that led to uh, him resigning at the end of the year, and, and uh, that was very unusual. Here's a guy accepting the World Championship trophy, and Charlie saying goodbye to him and says good luck, and Dick says thanks for everything here, and he was presumably going to the Yankees.
1: To that point, Uh, leading up to that and that decision by dick the things you read about the the team and certainly all those great seasons of 72 73 and 74 what they did between the lines was different from some of the competition they had outside of baseball just in terms of trying to get along in the clubhouse and and trying to not really choke each other so to speak what do you recall about that in 73 were there any uh, incidents that, that come to mind about things that 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 came up in 73. It was just another year of conversation back and forth, another year of the arguing about what Charlie was doing, trying to get his finger in the pie and always being meddling with the team, trying to do what they could do so well on the
0: field. Yeah, that's kind of what it was. I get it, again, in spite of Charlie. But uh, I think that club got along as well as, as any club. Uh, of course, we had incidents with other championship teams the next year, and we'll talk about those. But uh, the 73 team was pretty good. Uh, I remember a couple key injuries towards the end uh, that uh, kind of hurt us a little bit. Bit, but uh, we went on uh, we had an exciting playoff series with baltimore we split the first two games and came home one game three of course it was a five game series and had a lead in game four and raleigh gave up a home run to andy etcher of all people and so now we've got to go to a game five and i remember a couple of coaches saying hey i'm writing my checks for world series tickets right now we're going to win tomorrow and they were coming through the clubhouse telling everybody that it was kind of an uplifting thing it was kind of fun and so we win the next day and and uh, go on the World Series, and here come the Mets. But you win with a complete game shutout from catfish.
1: Uh, this is a this is a guy that you know certainly had established himself as one of the premier pitchers, and we'll as as these conversations continue as the episodes move on, we'll find catfish wearing pinstripes pitching against the athletics. But at that time he really was of the ace of the team, wasn't he?
0: He really was uh, what's funny is um, somebody said after we lost game four, and they said, hey, Cat, one of these days you'll get to start game one of a World Series because we were saving him for that, but then we had to use him for game five, and he, he came through like a champ, five, uh, a shutout, and uh, here come the Mets. It was the second
1: time in the three years, 71 you faced the Orioles, 72 the Ace faced the Tigers. It's back to Baltimore in 73, and it's Baltimore again, as we'll find out, in 1974. Did you sense much of a... Was there a rivalry between these two teams because they came, they kept on meeting at the most important time of the year?
0: You know, it kind of developed. Uh, the uh, of course, the Orioles manhandled this in 71. They won the three straight. And Zora Weaver versus uh, Dick Williams and two of the more talked about and uh, strict managers in baseball. So that added a little flair to it. But uh, as far as an overall rivalry, you know, kind of. Because of postseason. and But the thing was, the A's totally respected the Orioles, and I think the Orioles totally respected the A's.
1: You look at the New York Mets that year. They barely get over five hundred, and they win in the National League, get to the World Series. Yogi's the manager. They've got Tom Seaver. They've got Jerry Kuzman, They've got John Matlack. The A's have Catfish and, and Kenny Holtzman and... Vida and Blumen and whatnot, what was the feeling going into that, the sense that this is really going to be a, a pitcher's paradise in this World Series of 73?
0: Oh, absolutely. The, the three starters that they had, and plus ours, um, everybody thought it'd be a pitching-dominated World Series. It, it, it really wasn't, uh, but uh, it was fun to play the Mets. We had the, uh, Willie Mays' last appearance there in Game 2, and a Probably a wrong call by the umpire, Augie Donatelli.
1: Don't tell Ray that.
0: (laughs) But uh, uh, yeah, you wonder what would happen if there was replay back then. (laughs) But um, it it was off to a good series. We won the first game. We should have won the second game. It was a bad call by the umpire on uh, the second error by Mike Andrews. And uh, went to uh, New York, won game three, lost four and five, and came back and had to win two. And we did. It was was a pretty good comeback.
1: You grew up in the area. You saw Willie Mays in his heyday across the bay playing for the Giants. How tough was it to watch Willie had the ball that he lost in the sun playing right field, which is something he hardly ever did uh, for for the uh, New York Mets. Uh, Loses the ball in the sun, and then, you know, the play at the plate. And certainly the best days were behind him, and he was trying to go out with one last hurrah. And what was it like watching him, the, the brief times we saw him in that postseason against the A's?
0: You know, he didn't really screw up. I think it was a sun ball in left field, and that hurt him. And, and he was probably safe at home. Again, don't tell right. Mm-hmm. But, um, but uh, I mean, I saw him in his heyday, and what a great player he was and the best I've ever seen. So it didn't really – it's not like he tripped over the bases. It's not like he – totally misjudged a fly ball or he threw the wrong base. So the skills were still there, but he was trying to go out as a world champion, something that he hadn't had since the early 50s. So um, respecting Willie, uh, they played him, and he he, he still he was still a great player then, but uh, it was the end of his career.
1: You, you think about World Series records, and when you have a record that can only be tied— which Daryl Knowles has. He pitched in all seven games of the 73 World Series. Couldn't pitch the year before, had an injury, and uh, to come up as big as he did, one unearned run in the seven games combined for him. Uh, tell me the story of Daryl uh, being in that World Series for the Athletics.
0: He was just fabulous. I mean, he did nothing wrong in that series. He, uh, Like you said, he gave up only the one earned run. He's a guy that could pitch every day and just go on out there. He And he'd pitch more than one inning if you needed him to. He was uh, very effective, obviously, against uh, the Mets, all hitters, lefties and righties. And it was a pleasure to see somebody get a record that could only be tied. And it, I mean, he'd set the record. Again, it could only be tied, and I think it has been. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, Daryl was a good guy, uh, still is, and he's probably listening today. Smile, Darryl. Mm-hmm. But uh, he, is, uh, he pitched all seven games, which is unbelievable when you think about it.
1: Reggie didn't play – for the A's in the World Series of 72 because of the the leg injury trying to come home against the Tigers felt like the 73 season was one that he really wanted to commit himself and help lead the team to the World Series he had a pretty good World Series didn't
0: he? Yes he did I mean he led the league in home runs and then he comes into the World Series now Burt Campanaris kind of thought that he should have been the MVP of the series and if you look back at the stats I think Campy hit in more games that we won versus Reggie until like game 7 but uh, Reggie had a great series he had to, he was on the final stage he was big stage and, and uh He came out and he produced, and it was so sad to see him not play in 72, but a great thrill to see him thrive in 73.
1: Yeah. Campy scored six runs in that World Series. I think Sal Bando scored five as well. To that point, you know, we we talk about a a guy that became an even bigger star with Reggie going to the New York Yankees, but you had a collection of players that could be considered stars, but they seemed to find a way to play together. They seemed to find a way if somebody was going to get a little bit of the stage or the spotlight that they still went about their business in the most professional way. What impressed you the most about that, that 73 team, the way they went about that?
0: You know, again, a lot of guys that grew up together, they played the minor leaguers, minor leagues with the A's, uh, friends, family—they're like brothers. We talked about they used to fight. Well, two brothers would get together and play together. Ten minutes later, they were a, a good group together. I think Dick Williams did a good job of keeping them all together. Uh, they fed off each other. Uh, One guy would get three hits one day and then get shut out the next and somebody else would pick him up. Uh, The big thing is they were so good fundamentally. They didn't make mistakes and uh, when you have that kind of team that makes no mistakes, gives no games away, they're going to usually win and they're a proud bunch to win again in 73.
1: You know, the storyline still continues to be Charlie Finley gets involved and it it really reared its ugly head in the World Series with Mike Andrews. Here's a guy that, you know, had a chance to, to be a part of a World Series team and yet While he's a part of it, he's talked about it in much different terms than any other player charged with a couple of errors i think in game two that suddenly things really unravel explain the mike andrews charlie finley brouhaha and really how that affected the ball club and maybe galvanized the team as they got ready to to continue that world series
0: well mike had come to us in july or august and he was uh, a favorite of dick williams in boston in 67 and was friends with our first base coach jerry adair so he comes over we need another infielder he joins the club well now he makes the error in game two and the second error should not have been an error it was a bad call by the umpire but we didn't contest it so we now we lose game two in extra innings charlie finley decides hey he wants to replace him with a younger player manny trio so he has a doctor sign thing and and mike has to sign it too saying he's really hurt well he never had a physical when he came over and somehow that slipped through the books and so there had cause to say he was hurt they didn't know about it so he signs the thing the team flies off to new york Without Mike Andrews. And Mike stayed back and he said he might go see family in LA. Nobody knew. So the next day from New York, they said, get a hold of Andrews. You would got to bring him into New York. So we were looking all over. Uh, we were calling anybody with Andrews' last name in the LA phone books. They were calling his agent. You know, I mean, maybe didn't even have an agent, but calling his friends, and finally located him and got him back. The players were upset for a couple of reasons. In Game 3, all their player tickets were up, the wives and family were up in the top deck, and all of Charlie's friends were behind the dugout. So they complained about that, as they should. The workout day in New York, they put a number 17 on their sleeves made out of white tape in uh, memory of Mike Andrews. So they finally located Mike. The commissioner didn't allow Manny Trio to be activated, Poor Manny. And uh, they brought Andrews in, and he pinch hit, I think, in, one, in game three or four. And that was only other appearance in the World Series. But it really demonstrated Charlie Finley versus the players, and Charlie was going to win out on that as he gave terrible rings the next year. He didn't live up to his promise, and he said the players didn't deserve it.
1: Did you have any conversation with Mike over the years since those times with the athletics?
0: I did. He did some TV work for the Red Sox. So he would travel in. I was in a visiting clubhouse, and we'd talk, talked about that. Mike and I actually were friends, and mainly because of Jerry Adair, our first base coach. The three of us would go out uh, here in Oakland in 73. So, uh, yeah, Mike Mike was still hurt by that. I think it still bothered him, but... Uh, He got the last laugh because Charlie couldn't keep him out, and the commissioner brought him back.
1: And the final chapter, which you touched on earlier about 73, is that the manager who wins back-to-back World Series is out the door. Dick Williams was fed up with Charlie, and he he wanted to move on to something else, although he was still under contract to the Athletics. So how did all that play out for Dick Williams?
0: I knew something was going on. There was a phone call uh, during our last regular season game. I can tell the story now because Dick has passed. And some other key people have passed and it was from New York. They were expecting Ralph Hauck to resign. And that was Steinbrenner's first year of ownership and he couldn't take George. So he did resign and we had to run down and tell Dick Williams that Ralph Houck resigned and that's all we had to say. And so I think this is all orchestrated by a guy named Big Julie in New York, was a record producer, and had contacts with the Yankees and with Dick Williams' people, also including Irv Noren, our third base coach at the time. So I think it was well orchestrated in advance that he was gonna try to go to New York get out of his contract with Charlie because he didn't like the interference. It was probably the best thing that happened was he didn't go to New York because it would have been a lot more interference with George Steinbrenner.
1: And then the A's win the World Series. You talked about the excitement and the euphoria of winning 1972. What were the feelings at the end of 73 here in the, in the Bay Area for the athletics?
0: There's no doubt if the club stayed together that we could win it again. I mean, they were that good. They were that young. Nobody was over the hill. So uh, we had a winner where... Uh, a couple more acquisitions were made and went into 74. And, and as we'll talk in the future, 74 team I think might have been the best team we ever had in Oakland uh, just for the reason uh, that everybody was pretty healthy until Ray tried to bust up a fight with Billy North and Reggie Jackson.
1: Still played out, though. That's a great tease, Voos. Thank you for the visit for
0: Episode 5. Thanks. Enjoy it.
1: Steve Busenich, Memories with Vuce, Episode 5, the 1973 season. We'll continue this all season long here on A's Cast. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.